Hey, this is DeMar DeRozan, four-time NBA All-Star and member of the Chicago Bulls, and you're listening to Train, Body and Mind. Let's all be part of the progress. Oh, hello. Welcome to Trained, Body and Mind, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beyer. Each episode, I connect with the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, what we like to call the five facets of fitness. Today, I'm talking with Nike trainer and yoga instructor Brandon Collinsworth, who's known around the world for his innovative approach to incorporating yoga into high-performance sports training. Yoga is a deep dive into the inner world. And what we do here, the seeds we plant, the kindness that we embody, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we savor each moment, the way we drop into presence, these all inevitably show up and our external expression, whether it be in our relationships or it be in our athletic pursuits. And that's what I really think yoga does, is I think yoga is the great connector between the outer and the inner. As within, so without. Every once in a while, if we're lucky, we come across someone who's unforgettable. Often in the world of sport, it's their talent and accomplishments that amaze or inspire us. Sometimes it's the way they redefine their sport and totally change its direction. Or, like with Brandon, it's also their journey that grabs our attention, starting in one remarkable world and ending up in a completely different one, by way of some amazing path that nobody could have predicted. For people who might not know your background and just see you as this yoga trainer superstar, can you take us back to before all of this? Like, tell us the Brandon origin story if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up on the east side of Vegas, Section 8 housing projects. And I didn't really understand poverty until about seven years old. That's when I realized I was poor. My mother woke us up one morning and she bundled up my sister, put her on the back of her bike in in one of those child bike seats, had me get on my bike. And early morning, right before the sun came up, we rode to the back of the supermarket. And We waited. And then about 15 minutes after we got there, somebody opened the door and they started throwing out the day old food. And because my mother had my sister at that time, she had me actually climb up into the dumpsters, which at that time I didn't know was food, and pull out these bags. And that's when I really started to understand that I was poor, that my life was a little bit different than a lot of other kids that I was going to school with. What was cool is during that time, I fell in love with the burn of exercise, the burn of movement. And I realized that if I could push myself to that burn, all of a sudden I would forget about everything that was going on around me and I would pop into this like space of peace. And so exercise, when I talk to a lot of people about being a trainer and being into yoga and being into movement, it's so much deeper than a superficial practice for me. It was actually my savior. It was my church growing up. Because without it, I wouldn't have had a tool to cope with the challenges of growing up on the streets. And the reality is most of us who grow up in those situations, we don't make it out. So every day that I get to continue to share my message, every day that I get to continue to travel the way that I do, every day that I get to afford a $5 latte, I I say thank you. So when you say you you found movement, you, you kind of acknowledge using that maybe as a little bit of a coping mechanism. Did you discover it on your own? Yeah. So I had 
this PE teacher in fourth grade, and she created this program called JAWS, uh, Jog and Walk Stars. So it was like you could either play on the playground or you could run laps. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to try this out. And she told us that day, she said, when you're running, you're going to come up against this thing called the wall, like the wall, this Mm -hmm. burn. And she said, I promise you, if you can push through it long enough, on the other side of it is something special. And I started to develop a relationship with the burn. And I started seeking out the burn. And exercise was like this fast track to the burn. And I realized that every time I touched the burn, something was activated in me. Something allowed me to go deeper or go farther or push my potential to another level. And me and my friends... 15, 16 years old, even though we were on the streets, we also wanted to be like strong. We wanted to look good. We wanted to feel good. And it was a crazy counterbalance because, you know, street life can be like very toxic. But we had this balancing act of also working out. And so we couldn't afford to go to the gym at that time. I remember trying to play football. My mother couldn't afford the $100 to get me to be able to play football. And so we would walk four to five miles to this old apartment gym and we would work out. I finally was able to play sports when I got to high school because high school, public high school, you didn't have to pay. And it was two years of incredible athletic expression. But then everything kind of fell apart when I was 16 years old and I ended up homeless for two and a half years. So in that time, although... I wasn't able to play sports. I was able to deepen my relationship with fitness, which is inevitably why when I had the opportunity to start training, it was just a natural progression for my career because fitness gave me so much at my lowest and darkest and deepest times. Were you aware of what that was doing for you mentally and physically, or was it just like, this is good, I don't know why, I'm going to keep doing it? Part of me knew that it was beneficial because of how I felt. I felt better. And the depression and the anxiety sometimes sometimes when I was young was almost debilitating. And I knew if I got to that wall and pushed through that wall, there was always a gift on the other side of it, a gift of peace, a gift of confidence, a gift of love, a gift, gift of tranquility. And so I started to revisit it. Well, and I think, you know, something shifted for you in your situation because... Obviously, you're no longer in that situation. So what came over you that allowed you to make the changes to sort of get yourself out of that living situation? So when I was 18 years old, I was sitting in a bus stop on the east side of Las Vegas. That time, my mom had this wild mental breakdown and found myself on the streets for two years. And that led to a lot of fights, a lot of unhealthy habits, and on the trajectory to three places, either dead in jail or working a job that I absolutely hated. And I was sitting there in front of this local hotel called Samstown, and there was a guy that looked just like me, but was like 25 years older. And I looked in his eyes and there was no life in his eyes at all. He looked like just this blank, empty human. And I just remember looking around my surroundings, looking at the mountains that I've never actually went beyond, never left Vegas at that time. And something in me told me that if I didn't change something, I was going to die. One gift my mom gave me was that she taught me to read. And for some reason, I always felt like books were the access point to freedom. Like if you could 
reach it, go there with your mind, you can go there with your body. And so I made a pact to myself when I was 18, sitting at that bus stop that I was going to somehow get out of the streets and I was going to somehow educate myself. And I didn't know what that would look like, but there was this program called Job Corps. And it's like a last opportunity program where kids can come and get their GED and get their high school diploma and like get a little bit of vocational training. And in Job Corps, you live in these dorms, you go on this military schedule, you have to earn your weekends. You're up every morning at 6 a.m. You're at bed at 7 p.m. And I started to thrive in the discipline of being in a regimented system. And then all of a sudden, in the Job Corps, they gave the kids there an opportunity to take a college course. And my whole life, I thought I was like, couldn't do college. Took this college course, got a B. And I was like, oh, I can do college. And from there, all of a sudden, I just went off. Like the, the reading and the education mixed with my physical practice ended up changing everything moment by moment. It was a long year. I always say it took 10 years to get to that <laughs> one year that actually changed my life. Well, and you're being humble, and I'm just going to out you here. You have an Ivy League education. Like you didn't just go to college. Like you went to college. Yeah. You know, once I got into college and I got the momentum, I got to the community college and it took me two years to even get to a level where my credits even counted because I was so behind. But I stuck with it. Community college led to University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And then the University of Nevada, Las Vegas led to my master's in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. When did you know that you wanted to make a career, a living as a trainer? Like, what was your moment of, this is what I want to do with my life? So the training was like this natural transition from the streets to being a trainer because I knew all these people who were super fit, but were mentally not well. And that's when I started getting into the space of sports psychology and like connecting the mind and the body. And from there, it pushed me deeper into like the spirituality of fitness and health and wellness and taking a holistic approach to unlocking performance rather than it being just one dimensional. And so it all starts with me always. And that's the thing I think I'm most proud of about how I've approached this game is there's nothing that I'm teaching or pushing out there that I don't live. And I learned that a long time ago. One of my mentors told me that if I wanted to be successful in the space of human performance and training, I needed to live by two things. One, I needed to walk the walk. I needed to embody what I say. And two, he said, I can never be afraid to help people become better than me. And he said, that's the difference maker. A lot of people will help people get to a certain point and then they'll hold them back. But if you really want to help people fly, you got to be willing to step out of the way and let them go, even if it means you're not in the picture anymore. Yeah, that's huge. Tell us about your early days as a trainer. What was your vibe? Like you have so many inputs from your time on the streets, your getting this really incredible education within positive psychology. Like how do all those worlds come together to make right. you you? The big thing at that time was to get my CSCS. Like if you had your CSCS, you could be in the game. Yep. And I reached out to a lot of different strength conditioning coaches at that time. And I just started like diving deep. I would drive to literally universities, USC and things like that, just to watch strength and conditioning coaches in their element. And I became known really quickly as a strength and conditioning coach. And then that led to me interning for three years under a sports psychologist named Dr. Michael Norwood. He used to be the sports psychologist at University of Kansas. And I would do about 70 sessions a week and each one would be critiqued because he was all about eliciting flow states in athletes. And 
pay next to nothing, but that fast-tracked my career in a way that was absolutely incredible. 2011 is when I opened up my first gym called Real Results Fitness. And that's when everything started to like shift because I was really one of the first trainers in Vegas to take the mindset of things and physicality and, and merge them into one space. And once that started happening, all of a sudden, more high-profile clients started working with me. And that's when I went from being just a local trainer to starting to travel as a trainer with different athletes and executives. And my world just began to expand even more. When did you become interested in yoga? Yoga was in 2014. Around that same time, I went to Bali because I'm at the top of the game now in the training space in Vegas. I have a penthouse downtown. I have over 50 employees working at my gym. Real Results is just incredibly successful. And I was just as depressed as I was on the streets. And I was like, this is really awkward. Why all of a sudden am I now at this level of success, but I'm not happy? I need to take a break and like explore that. And at that time, everybody was going to Bali. Like Bali was the space to go. So I got on a plane, went to Bali, ended up at the yoga barn in Ubud and went to a yoga class. And this yoga teacher by the name of Denise Payne comes up to me and she says, you really think you got it all figured out, but you don't know anything that's going on on the inside. You need, you need to like check your ego. Dang. And I was like, <laughs> mind blown. But I understood it. It was like I was a lot of bravado. And that was the catalyst for like yoga. And I started practicing. And then all of a sudden yoga became this embodiment of self and this masterclass that never ended, that continued to push me deeper and deeper into who it is I am as a person, but also who I am as a coach and as a trainer. And in the Bhagavad Gita, they say yoga is the journey of the self to the self through the self. What fascinated me about it is it it's ancient. It's thousands of years old. Once I started making yoga a pillar of my life, more than just the asanas, but that philosophy of yoga, ahimsa, living with compassion, satya, speaking from truthfulness, things like that, everything started to shift in my life in a way that was more centered, more focused, more predictable, more balanced. And that's when I really started to push yoga into the sports performance space to say, like, if you're talking about being the best athlete, we're talking about you being your best self, you being the most expressive version of yourself. And the only way to be the most expressive version of yourself is for you to go in and figure out who you are. So tell me how that works exactly. Because you, you, know, you were in the sports performance world, you're going hard in the gym, you find yoga. What types of movements? What was your style? How did you incorporate that into the performance aspect of the way that you train? Bruce Lee said, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own. And so walking into the yoga space from a sports performance lens, I realized that I could pull different things from different spaces to create unique, inspiring programs for each and every body that I worked with. And so it's a lot of people, especially in the sports performance spaces, they get very like black and white with things. I like to dance in the gray area because each one of us is a unique expression and each one of us has a unique body that needs to be touched, tapped into, and activated in a unique way. I was blessed to have teachers that gave us permission to push the boundaries and step out of tradition, always keeping in mind that the tradition is there. So there is a place for downward facing dog. There is a place for shoulder stand. There is a place for pigeon. 
and there's places for innovation, especially in movement practices, we get to push the paradigm and we get to explore what is possible. Well, I think what you're saying about innovation is really important because you mentioned this before, like yoga is old. It has been around forever. And so I think maybe there's this attitude of like, it is what it is and we don't change this. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But it seems like you're finding ways to create new within this traditional practice. Would you say that you feel like your style is very unique, that maybe there was a true gap that you've been able to fill in this world of yoga? That would be a big statement for me to like own. I would say that I've been blessed with so much beautiful tradition and teachers and lineage that they've given me the tools to push the boundaries forward, nudge them forward slightly. I want everybody to be able to practice yoga. But I started to see just like how so many people were lacking embodiment in their training. They were doing it for superficial reasons. They were going so fast. Everything was about being so explosive and they were missing the gaps in between. What a metaphor for life. I think that's one of the reasons why we are so distracted, disconnected from family, friends, our purpose, our passion is because we miss the little gaps in between. We don't slow down enough to see those pockets of potential. And yoga, there's so many pockets of potential when we begin to slow down. My mission for yoga is just to give people back to themselves. You are the guru. They are the guru. And breath and yoga philosophy says that all you got to do to master yourself is to slow down, breathe, tune in, and unlock. When we come back from the break, Brandon talks about ways yoga can help improve our focus and athletic performance. And he also shares why it's important to take the focus off ourselves and redirect it back into our communities. You mentioned earlier your work in the psychology space around flow state. So is that still like a passion of yours to apply what you've learned from sports psychology and positive psychology to the way you're a trainer? And if so, like how does flow state maybe interact with yoga flows? That's a great question. You know, flow is this incredible concept and we hear about it all the time now. It's being in the zone, being in the moment, being completely absorbed where we lose sense of time and miraculousness happens. And some of the deeper levels of flow, we have found that it's associated with skill and task difficulty. So in implementing yoga flows or in training programs as a trainer, what I've become really good at is getting people to that edge and knowing where to pull back, where to push forward to keep them at that edge as long as possible. When we get to that edge, when we're being challenged, but not over-challenged, when we're being tested, but not over-tested, when we're having to pull our mental and physical and spiritual faculties all into the moment, we can't be anywhere else other than right here, right now. And although we talk about this a lot of times in the space of like sports or yoga or training, these concepts of flow can be carried into every aspect of life. When we're present with our loved ones, when we're deep in passion projects, when we're out in nature, 
just letting the present moment be the present moment. There's so many opportunities every day to find ourselves in a beautiful state of absorption and flow. Yeah, it happens for me um, when I do puzzles. <laughs> My husband That's gives amazing. me such a hard time. He's like, I don't want you to ever start a puzzle because you're just going to go into flow and we won't see you for like six hours. <laughs> like I know. So That's amazing. you have... You know, there are people, uh, maybe I'm asking this for a friend, but they got a lot going on in their mind. Maybe they're type A. Maybe they overthink like sinking their breath to their movement and they have a hard time allowing themselves to get into that flow state while they're doing yoga. Any advice for people who struggle with all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Breathe deeper and know that the breath is a tool. Once a person really begins to like commune with their breath, this sense of power flows in. This is what I've noticed, at least in the people I've worked with. We're always a few mindful breaths away from our peace. We're always a few mindful breaths away from our power. And so like any muscle, we have to train it. And with breath, it's a direct reflection of where our mind's at. Because if our mind's not here, we're not going to be breathing deep. But if we're breathing deep, our mind is right here with us. And so I would say to those people who are really trying to focus on their breath and bring breath into their practice, just start to try to breathe deeper. Okay, so I've heard you say that athleticism is a combination of mind, body, and spirit. What do you think yoga's role is in helping achieve that unison? I think yoga bridges the gap between the external and the internal. I think sometimes when we talk about training, we get really caught up in the superficiality of it all. But the reality is, is when we talk about championship mentality, there's a lot of magic happening on the inside that nobody sees. Yoga is a deep dive into the inner world. And what we do here, the seeds we plant, the kindness that we embody, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we savor each moment, the way we drop into presence, these all inevitably show up in our external expression, whether it be in our relationships or it be in our athletic pursuits. And that's what I really think yoga does, is I think yoga is the great connector between the, the outer and the inner. As within, so without. So would you say that someone is less likely to achieve true athleticism then if they don't have a yoga practice as part of their routine? I would say that there's been people who have achieved incredible feats of athleticism that may have not had a deep sense of connectedness with their inner space. I've worked with athletes that are incredible, but really didn't have an understanding of their inner world. I would go to say that if they did have an understanding of their inner world, I couldn't imagine what they would bring to life. And this is what excites me. If we have people breaking barriers and breaking records already, as we begin to master our inner space even more, it's only going to open up the floodgates of breaking through and breaking past higher limits of potential on all levels. So what are some of the ways that you think yoga can contribute to an athlete's mental performance then? On almost every level, like, you know, from one breath, learning to control one's breath, bring a person's back into presence, bring a person back into their power. This is something that so many athletes either master or they have trouble with. Learning to move slower and softer. Things like gratitude, being more grateful. So it's not just about making better athletes. It's about becoming a happier, more productive, more grateful athlete. Compassion for others. 
in a day and age where it seems like every month there's a new reason for us to be divided. Yoga brings us back to this space that, hey, we're all pretty much the same, regardless of the skin color, regardless of political orientation, regardless of all of that. We're the same. We want the same. And so I feel like yoga, it's a practice like anything, you know, it's not a yoga perfect. It's a yoga practice. And you got to practice. You got to show up. And I always say the work works, but you got to do the work. When you say um, it's not a yoga perfect, it's a yoga practice. Every time I hear that in your workouts, I'm like, that that brings me back to like, all right, let go of the perfectionism. Just being here is what matters. How often, I know it's hard to generalize, but how often might somebody need to practice yoga to start to get some of these benefits that you've been describing throughout our conversation? So the beautiful thing about yoga is it could be something done every day. Something as simple as a couple minutes on the ground, just moving in an expressive way, maybe in a way that one hasn't moved before. The barrier of entry into yoga is very small. Once you start to wrap breath and movement, the changes start to happen. And that's the beautiful thing about the human physiology is the body is that adaptable. It just wants to move different. It thrives off of novelty. But I would say with like those who want to go deeper under the yoga practice and yoga path, I say a few days a week, carving out those times to intentionally get on the mat to push out all the distractions of the world and tune in 30 minutes to an hour, the benefits that come from that are absolutely incredible. And it's one of those things where some people want to skip from white belt to black belt right off the bat. The reality is is to get a black belt in martial arts, you got to go for 10 years or more. It takes time, but the journey is the reward. That's the beautiful thing about yoga. If you skip from not being able to even touch your toes to like lotus pose, you'd miss the journey of getting into that space. And so what I would say to people who want to pursue the practice of yoga is to really just begin to enjoy the journey. Well, I'll go out on a limb here and assume that part of the reason that you love yoga so much is not just for what it does for your mind and your body and your sense of self, but also that you are in purpose of others and you do a lot of what you do for others. So I want to just spend a few minutes talking about some of the projects that you're involved in. Let's start with Warrior Retreats. Can you give us the cheat sheet on what that is, why you started it, how it helps you give back to others? Quickly, in a nutshell, I met my father for the first time when I was 27 years old. And I found out he was living in the jungles of Peru. Go figure, like crazy. And so at that time, I was doing a lot of deep work. And I was like, you know what? This is a free trip to Peru to go see my father and see what's going on down there. And he took me into the jungles and introduced me to the tribes. And I started working in a humanitarian capacity deep in the Amazon jungle. And it started to change me. It started to really bring this essence of being a global citizen and using my resources to help others. And after doing that for about five years, I wanted to bring some friends to Peru to experience all the magic of Peru from Machu Picchu to the incredible food. I'm a foodie, by the way, to indigenous Mm -hmm. plant medicines, to working in hospitals and all of that. And so in 2016, I invited two friends. And two weeks later, I had 20 friends come to Peru. And that was the beginning of warrior retreats. Each year we've done a retreat. So we've done seven. And we brought about 150 people on these curated rites of passages from the Amazon to the Andes. And it's just been incredible. It's one of my deepest, dearest passion projects. And we've been able to give back to Peru in so many ways. So there are other forms of yoga. And when we talk about yoga and like bhakti yoga or karma yoga, karma yoga is the the yoga of service. So to be able to bring people into the hospitals and work with 
terminally ill kids, it really puts things in perspective. It brings people back into the present moment and opens up doorways that when they come back to the States, they are more well-rounded individuals. And that person who cut them off in traffic or that extra long line at Starbucks becomes a little less triggering. There's a few other projects I want to touch on. You're a part of the emotional wellness app called Mind. What's your role? Yes. In that? So Mind, the journey with Mind was to democratize social and mental health so that people had the opportunities and the tools to actually heal what they need to heal and to understand deeper levels of self. You know, the one thing about physical fitness is you can see it. Mental fitness, you really can't see where a person's at. And a lot of times there's a stigma around it. Like when you say, I'm depressed. It's a very interesting area that a lot of people don't know how to navigate. And so with Mind, what we do is we give people on-demand access to some of the best in the game, from coaches to sex therapists to mental health experts to psychotherapists. And it's really about helping people develop their mental fitness just as much as their physical fitness. Full Full package, package, baby. So Mind has been a journey. And now that these walls to mental health are kind of being broken down. And I feel like the pandemic really brought mental health to the forefront of wellness. It's just an honor to be able to open up those doors and give more people access to the tools to help them be their best selves. Yeah, that is very cool. You are also a writer because you don't seem busy enough. And you have a book coming out soon, I do. Yes. It's called Embodied Love, Pillars and Principles for Higher Living. And so Embodied Love is basically this deep dive into my journey of studying with masters in 50 plus countries and learning about myself through this journey from the streets to the skies. And it's 30 lessons, 30 principles that are designed to help people unlock their power, unlock their potential. Okay. When and how can we get our hands on it? It's almost done. And when it comes out, I'm sending everybody copies. (laughs) Yay. Very cool. Congratulations. That is exciting. Thank you. And then lastly, your relationship with Nike. Can you give us the the backstory? How did you help yoga become a standalone brand now at Nike? Absolutely. So back in 2014 is when I really started talking about yoga in the context of Nike. And there were some evangelists in that space. And they really saw the vision and started to like create spaces for us to talk more about yoga but it still wasn't a standalone brand. In 2018, the Nike team had me go ahead and look at who I thought were good candidates to be a part of quote unquote Nike yoga. And so we did this big immersion in Santa Monica where the Nike team came out there and we talked about the evolution of yoga. And we really began to talk about yoga in the space of sport and how it makes people better athletes and how that's paramount for the evolution of where athleticism is going. And About a year later, Nike launched Nike Yoga, like the yoga brand. And so to see a brand like Nike get behind yoga and create Nike Yoga and make yoga actually cool, I feel it touches people that we have no idea are being touched and it opens up doors to this space that probably never would have been opened before. Because Nike is cool. Nike has swagger. And when Nike says this is cool, people listen. You know what I'm getting from all this, Brandon, is just that you have a magic vision board and anything that you put on it, you are able to achieve and it is amazing. So um, what is next on your vision board then? (laughs) Next on my vision board is really to just drop deeper into teaching, teaching more, speaking more, 
And I feel like fatherhood is like in the next year or two. That's like, that's where, that's going to be the next accomplishment is being a father. I love that. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So last question for you. Imagine that we've had people listening this whole time. You've got the hardcore yogis, your fans, and then there's probably some people who are like, I don't know about yoga. I don't know who Brandon is, but now they're convinced. So maybe they're ready. They're energized. They're going to start practicing. What should their first step be? The first step to really starting a yoga practice is to just start, get a mat, start to flow. And there's so many resources in this day and age. And maybe that looks like hopping on NTC and doing one of my classes or Jonah classes or one of the the yoga classes there. Maybe it means going to a studio now that some studios are opening back up. Or maybe it means you just getting on your mat and moving in a way that feels good, listening to your body and through your breath, creating a relationship with yourself. The crazy barrier that people put up when it comes to yoga is they think that they got to be perfect to start. And I'm here to say the perfect time to start is right now. That's all you got to do is just take that step forward and the rest will take care of itself. And the journey that we often go on, we think we're going to one mountaintop, but oftentimes take us in a different direction into a space that would actually blow our mind, will blow our mind. But in order to go on that journey, one has to take the step. Well, and I cannot recommend your classes enough. I will be taking one tomorrow morning on the app. So Brandon, thank you for your wisdom, your inspiration, your tangible takeaways that you've shared today. I always feel really good after talking to you, after taking your class. I I know I'm not the only one. So keep doing your thing. It's important. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Such an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brandon. I remember when I first started doing yoga, it was intimidating. And Brandon's right. There's this pressure, probably mostly self-inflicted, to jump from novice to expert right away. And that's not realistic or healthy in yoga or in life. There's something to be said for the journey for sure, but also for the courage and conviction of simply starting. And you know how I said talking with Brandon or taking his classes always makes me feel good? I started to wonder why that is. And I think it has something to do with this. Yes, he uses his street smarts and book smarts to innovate and inspire. Yes, he believes in peak performance and big challenges. But he does all this while framing it with an eye toward compassion and gratitude. Like he said, we're all pretty much the same. We want the same. On our next episode, we take on a really big challenge, a deep dive into misinformation in the wellness industry. We'll talk with Canadian author and professor Timothy Caulfield, about why the wellness space attracts so much misinformation, how we can spot it, and what we can do about it. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, Email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide isn't a substitute for any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions.